Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible, because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. It's Sunday night and that means one thing. There is another busy weekend of Premier League action to get ourselves piled into on the podcast. And whilst we've probably been a bit short on goals across the last 48 hours, we've definitely, definitely not been short on some shock results. Struggling Fulham, they managed to hold defending champions Liverpool to a one-all draw. Crystal Palace, they got themselves a draw as well, one all against current Premier League leaders Tottenham and the Manchester Derby that continued the drawing theme, ending as a nil-nil at Old Trafford for the first time since 2015. And it's Manchester, that's where we're going to be kicking off tonight's show and we look to pick the bones out of a slightly bizarre match with neither set of fans wildly happy with the result but some interesting perspectives on why it played out as it did. In part two, it's Everton. They got themselves right back to winning ways with a 1-0 victory for Carlo Ancelotti as he stopped Chelsea's unbeaten run at eight games. And then in part three, it's Fulham and that brilliant point against Liverpool. And we're also going to be talking about Palace and Spurs and all the other games from this weekend. So loads and loads and loads to get through. My name's Fergal Brennan. I'm going to be rationing out the goals tonight. We've got some interesting talking points, but goals are at a bit of a premium. And joining me, we have representatives from both sides of Manchester, the red corner and the blue corner. And in the red corner, we've got ourselves Rob Blanchett from the Manchester United Masterclass podcast. Rob, how are you? I'm great, Fergal. Thanks for having me on. Great stuff, great stuff. And in the blue corner, representing Manchester City, we have City fan Adam Keyworth. Adam, how are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. All good, all good. It's uh, it's almost a shame that one of us doesn't have any bragging rights for tonight because I was I think I was half dreading coming on tonight just in case. But then the other the other side of that is I was looking forward to it in case we'd have won. So 
carefully rationed out bragging rights, I would say, based on a nil-nil <laughs> draw. As I said, Rob, the first time at Old Trafford that it's been goalless in the Premier League since 2015. Now, from the outside looking in, there's obviously been a lot of memes and, and various things flying around on social media about the performance and how kind of it was a little bit of a damp squib. But looking at this from a, a Manchester United point of view, and we, we chatted about this before we started recording, this is not the bad result, the, you know, the doom and gloom that it might look at. This was a fairly tactically competent performance from United where they executed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's plan and they got themselves a point against a massive, massive rival. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this was probably Manchester United's best tactical performance of the season. So that might tell you a lot about where United are at the moment. Uh, I certainly wasn't unhappy with the point. I think when you play in a team like Manchester City, who might, might not be in their best moment at the moment, but they're still one of the great clubs, one of the great teams in Europe, and you should fear them. But I think Pep set up with some grudging respect against Ole, having lost three times in a row last season in, the, in those games, three out of four. And... I think that was kind of how the game played out. Manchester United, after being eliminated from the Champions League, where they only needed a point from two games, I really did fear that they might collapse against City, that City might arrive at Old Trafford and be all their swashbuggling best and having uh, Kevin De Bruyne run the game like he has done before. But it didn't happen. And I think that was mainly to do with how Manchester United actually executed their tactics for once you know in terms of the main metrics of the game so now I was pleased with the point at the end of the day I was not surprised that lots of United fans were not but a good point when you think about the other results in the Premier League this weekend. Adam when you look at it from as I say at the start the outside looking in when you're not a City or or a United fan four shots on target and none of them really looking like they were going to trouble either goalkeeper probably Riyad Mahrez's chance in the first half was the closest What's your take on this? Rob's kind of a bit more of a glasses half full because the result went, you would say, in United's favour because heading into this, you would expect City to, to probably go on and win. What was your response after the game? Uh, a bit deflating, really. I think it was it was one of those performances, like Rob said, United set up really, really solidly, I thought. Um, and as he said, probably the, the best they've played tactically, maybe not just this season, but under Solskjaer in general. But I did did think going into yesterday's game United having that terrible result in the week City have been pretty solid of late and it seemed like we we're coming into some sort of form that it's just a bit of a wasted opportunity I think and I've seen some people say oh it now on the the basis of the other results other teams around us dropping points it looks like a better point but for me that just annoys me even more I think it's a, a bit of a chance wasted and yeah it was weird I think even from when we set up um, you could see it was going to be a bit of a different game. I wasn't too too keen on how we set up actually, but it kind of played out the way that you'd expect when you saw the two teams. They both showed each other a lot of respect, and yeah, the game just petered out. It it never really got going. I don't think the game, and obviously the neutrals probably didn't enjoy it. But from a city point of view, it's it's not really the way that we expect to play football these days. Rob, obviously tactically there was going to be a lot of focus on Solskjaer and how he'd look to combat City and, and what the likes of De Bruyne would bring. Two changes from that defeat to Leipzig in the Champions League and the eye-catching one, sorry any Fred fans, is, is Paul Pogba starting against Manchester City. Some of Pogba's best performances for United have come under Solskjaer against City and that was probably some of the rationale for, for dropping him into the game. Given all the situation that's surrounding his future and the potential that he could be moving on either in January or, or at the end of the season, was it the right call and, and were you impressed with him? Oh, 100%. It was the right call. You know, I think Ole's going to only pick players that he trusts 
And we know that Ole is in this situation where if he loses games, the, the pressure will be heaped on him seriously with the likes of Pochettino looking for a job. Uh, and I think when you look at Pogba in the last two or three games that he has played, he's been really good. You know, his performances, he's shone in his position on the left-hand side of a midfield. And he can do two or three different things for you that certainly other players in the United squad can't do for you. So I think as, as long as he is a Manchester United player and he's training well and you're happy with his commitment, he has to play. And he helped United get that result yesterday. I think tactically, you know, I, I agree with what was said there in terms of United's performances against City over a long period of time. That Tactically, United have lost those battles to Pep and to even previous managers going all the way back to Sir Alex. Um, yesterday, Ole didn't lose that battle. And I actually think that's a plus. I think when you're trying to build a football club and try and take your team back to where you think they should be, you've got to be able to cross swords with teams like Manchester City and nullify them as well as just having these kind of big ding-dong events, you know, big goal-scoring events and beating them on, on the counter-attack. You've got to have more in your locker. And I think United showed yesterday that they have got more in their locker than we've seen previously. Adam, obviously the big talking point at the end of the game was a lack of goals on, on both sides. And as Rob points out, United executed what they needed to do very well. But you did get the sense with City that if they had somebody in the box to, to stick away a couple of chances that did fall their way, the result could have gone in the opposite direction. Gabriel Jesus is without a Premier League goal since scoring against Liverpool on November the 8th. Sergio Aguero is obviously just coming back to fitness. He didn't feature yesterday. How much is either an on-form Jesus missing for City or a fit Aguero? Yeah, I think if we'd have had Aguero on the pitch yesterday, I think our chances of winning that game would have been significantly higher because you say that like Jesus didn't really get a sniff in the game apart from that half folly which fell out of the sky, which you, you wouldn't expect anyone to put in from there. But he didn't really have anything. Um, and to be fair, we were a bit blunted going forward in general. I thought Wan-Bissaka and Shaw were excellent yesterday. Annoyingly so, I thought Maguire was very good as well. So came up against the defence that just had our number a little bit. I hate the fact that we're still... I know that Sterling beat Wan-Bissaka once and put him on the floor, but he he struggles against Wan-Bissaka every single time and I can't believe it took so long into the game to kind of swap him over with Mares and then with Torres towards the end of the game. So we just lacked a bit of spark, really. Um, I thought defensively City were really solid. It's something that we've properly ironed out problems from last year but we've just forgotten how to score goals which is uh, probably the easiest easier thing to fix but just a bit frustrating really I think that's one thing you'll, you'll get from City fans after yesterday's game it's frustration because we just couldn't get going um, but at the same time didn't really look like conceding so it was all a bit I don't know just middling really uh, Rob, given the fact that there's obviously a clear absence of goals, people were scratching around at full time for, for something to talk about. And the big thing that caught the attention was the Sky cameras honing in on Harry Maguire and John Stones having a nice bit of a cuddle. They, you know, when you see a hug and you think you're both fully invested in this, it wasn't a one-armer or someone being a bit more committed. They were they were both really enjoying being in each other's arms. And Twitter has gone into a bit of a meltdown, criticising, pointing back to instances in the past, Roy Keane and Alfie Harland, uh, Peter Schmeichel and Gary Neville, etc. Etc. Et These stories are, are as old as time. Do you think the incident was kind of blown out of proportion a little bit, given the fact that these are England colleagues, they've played together before, and, and this is a very strange situation that we're seeing players in at the moment? It's completely blown out of proportion. You know, these two guys are friends, England international colleagues, as you said, both live in the northwest. 
playing for two Manchester clubs. Now, yes, the rivalry in yesteryear might have been more aggressive. There might have been more of a combative nature between the players, but these are different times. It's not the same game. The Premier League is not the same product. Um, it's fine if you kind of take the likes of Roy Keane and wheel them out on television and you want your soundbite from these great ex-pros who used to go around smashing into opponents. But their opinion is not as valid in today as it was maybe 20 years ago. It's a different world. And they just have to accept that. That's just the bottom line. I know fans want the kind of combative nature of these derby matches. And I think if that stadium was full yesterday, it might have been a different occasion where the noise and the, and the passion from the fans might have brought it up a level. But I've got no problems with two friends giving each other a hug on the pitch afterwards and being caught on camera. It's really, it's a non-story. Um, John Stones, Adam, obviously was a bit of a source of, of interest, not just for, for cuddling up to Harry Maguire, but his performance on the pitch, quite a few outlets and, and television stations gave him man of the match. He, he gave quite a frank post-match interview where he said he never wanted to leave Man City. He's always wanted to be involved. He's just had to kind of stay out of the limelight because of issues in his personal life. And Guardiola backed him in his own interview where he essentially hinted that there's been things that have been swirling around Stones that have affected him and he's, he's taken him out of the team because of that reason. But given the fact that maybe at the start of the season there was some City fans thinking this was the end for Stones and then you go out and spend all that money on Ruben Diaz to come in and partner Heinrich Laporte at centre-back, does John Stones still have a future at Manchester City? Would he would he be willing to take a backup role to Diaz and, and Laporte? Yeah, I think, well, Laporte's got to get him out of the, t- out of the team. Stones starts every game now because the thing with John Stones, and it, it's a funny one, on his day and when he's fit and when he's... I'd, even, I'd go as far as to say when he's mentally fit because the one thing that I've always worried really about Stones is his body's been quite fragile over the last few years but there's always been something else in his head and he, he almost had to get out of his own head and he's come back this year fighting he said from the very beginning he's going to do whatever it takes to get back in the, in the team and now you can't get, get him out of there he he looks a, a totally different player and he, he changes the way that we play in a positive way as well as well as his defending he's so good on the ball and I'm absolutely delighted for him he, last season I was worried about him uh, about where he goes next in my mind in probably midway through last year he was gone I, I didn't know which club would end up going for him whether he'd end up at Arsenal or back to Everton or wherever but he's keeping Laporte out of the team which is no mean feat and he's kept five clean sheets in a row and we haven't done that like we've kept six clean sheets in all competitions in a row We we don't do that and yeah I'm, de- I'm delighted for him he, he's a lovely guy he like you say he's been through a couple of really turbulent years and Pep's kept him out of there but it, it says a lot that Pep stuck with him um, through his injuries through the problems that he's had through some really quite bad performances when he did come back in the team so he's he's building a partnership with Diaz that nobody saw coming um, and it, it's good like I said before we, we look very solid defensively and we haven't done for years uh, Walker had a couple of shaky moments yesterday but Stones and Diaz were absolutely fine apart from a, a Diaz missed header at a corner that we nearly conceded to yeah delighted for Stones and the whole Stones-Maguire thing I I saw both sides of it straight away I, I was obviously in the heat of the moment quite annoyed because I, I thought the whole performance was a bit pally and thought they probably could have done that off the pitch but there's some really sensible and level-headed comments about it's not even just that the Premier League product is different and that footballing times are different. This year is different and these are strange times and these are two good pals who played with each other at a World Cup 
who probably haven't seen each other for a long time. So just leave them to it. Um, but yeah, Stones is kind of the shock of the season, but in a in a very good way. It would be a hell of a story for Stones to get himself back into the starting eleven, and particularly as as Adam says to nudge Amrit Laporte out of the, the starting team because he's been so excellent for City since he's since he's come to the club. Um, Rob, just quickly before we take a break. I know, obviously, Pogba is the flavour of the month, but I just want to ask you again about him. Obviously, he returned to the team yesterday, as we said, and given the fact that United have got a busy run of games between now and the end of the year, what's the best approach for Solskjaer to take? Is it to to manage his game time, play him in in certain games where he, he can affect the situation better, or does he just essentially play through the pain and, and just keep playing him and keep playing him? Well, Oli's got to play whatever he believes is his best team. You know, everything is formulated on the training grounds. You know, we look at the sports science reports and that's how managers pick their, their teams now and their selections going forward. And if Paul Pogba is one of your best players still and is committed and he said he is and obviously he publicly posted that last night on Instagram, then of course you go with him. And again, I just think it's one of these things that fans feel personally offended when they hear um, agents talk and obviously all the transfer news that comes around with the January transfer and now about to open and there is a chance that Pogba could leave but I think if Ole feels confident that Pogba's up for it and he's still uh, dedicated to Manchester United while he's at the club you play him he's one of the best midfielders in the world on his day the problem is his consistency maybe hasn't been there he's had injuries and we've not really seen the best of Paul Pogba over say the last 12 months Uh, he's got an opportunity now if he wants to stay at United and maybe even earn a new deal because that's what we heard was happening behind the scenes a few weeks ago there is every chance that Paul Pogba still succeeds at Manchester United. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's still what it comes down to. If, if he's able to put in the types of performances that, that most United fans know that he's capable of, he'll be massive for Solskjaer and, and I can't really see United selling him before his contract is up. We're going to call it there for the first part. Gents, great chatting to you. Great to have you back on the show. Adam, after the break, it's going to be Everton. They ended Chelsea's eight-game unbeaten streak in the Premier League as Frank was left a little bit sore on Merseyside. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Before the break, we discussed the Manchester derby and picked the bones out of a nil-nil draw as Oli met Pep. Now it's Everton against Chelsea. Carlo Ancelotti ended Frank Lampard's eight-game unbeaten run with a 1-0 win at Goodison Park. And despite only having 28% possession, it was a little bit of a master against the Prentice situation as the wily old Italian got one over Frank. Rob... You get the sense, given the fact that Everton have not really been able to recapture that early season form, that they needed this result. They needed this win to remind certain players and maybe certain journalists and pundits that they're still a good team and they'll still be there or thereabouts this season. Yeah, certainly. And I think you know they didn't have James Rodriguez yesterday. And I think his slumping form from the start of the season where he was world-class and sensational to becoming very average very quickly with the knock that he got playing for Colombia. I think we saw yesterday that there was some kind of recovery with Everton in terms of their purposeness through midfield and at the attack. So Chelsea are still a young team. You know, they're going to make mistakes, especially on the road. And Everton took advantage of that yesterday. And I think it also just goes to show it doesn't really matter in the Premier League if you have... 
you know, vast amounts of possession than, than the opposition team. If you can't do it in front of goal and in the penalty area, you'll suffer. And I think Everton took that chance yesterday for, with their penalty, got the three points, and they'll be very happy with the, with the performance and the victory. Adam, we previewed this game on the uh, on the preview show on Friday, and this this situation with Everton, we look at this and we go, as as Rob mentioned, if Rodriguez is not in the team, are they going to be able to tick? There was no Seamus Coleman or, or Luca Dean yesterday, who were massive players for them. And you've got Ben Godfrey filling in, or Mason Holgate filling in, Alex Awobi looking to to kind of fill in for for Hames in, in midfield. And are we kind of doing them a disservice by not? expecting Chelsea to go to Goodison Park and get a result but given the fact that those key players were missing we kind of couldn't really see the wood for the trees in this one Yeah I think Everton are a weird team this season I seem to say it every time I'm on they've either won a game that maybe you wouldn't actually expect them to win or they've lost a game you wouldn't expect them to lose so they're a bit patchy but I think the other thing is we've set these expectations of Chelsea because of the run that they've been on and they've been playing some decent football probably a bit higher than we should have done and the same on the flip side of that with Everton so yeah two sides who really needed the win but like you said Everton were desperate for a a win against one of the top sides Um, and it it throws them back in the mix this season is utterly bizarre like the top nine top ten separated by seven points it's wild so beating a, a rival close to you and sitting United are probably kicking themselves for not doing so yesterday if you beat a rival around you it just catapults you back into the mix so yeah I think I I don't think Everton will will be title contenders to be quite honest because I think the squad is quite thin but they proved yesterday without Dina and Coleman and Luca Dina is a ridiculously good fullback who seems to give Everton so much more than maybe they do have without him but without him Without Rodriguez, they they got the job done. So it was a it was a good performance from Ancelotti, and he kind of had I think he had Lampard's number really. Uh, Rob Lampard was quite straight in his, his post match interview where he just said, "We've got a lot of young players in this team. We've got a lot of players that are new to the Premier League, and these types of results, and, and certainly in later stages of games, they might not have the the nous or the skill set to, to get the results just yet. But it is coming for for those players." Can you just file this under a little bit of a bad day at the office for, for the for the visitors? Mason Mount hit the bar, Annie hit the post, Reese James had one tipped onto the post by Jordan Pickford and it just kind of didn't really seem to go in for them despite the, the amount of chances they had. Football fans won't like this, but there's nothing wrong with losing games. You know, if you're in a development squad and you're trying to take your team to the next level and Frank Lampard's only been there a season really and they've they've only brought these new players in obviously in the last transfer window, you're gonna get moments, especially against a team like Everton, who may be solid, you're looking for their first win after a long time, where you just can't do it and you lose and you don't score and uh, they get a clean sheet and it's game over. This is all part of the development of this Chelsea team. They're obviously still title contenders just because of the picture of the Premier League at the moment. You know, I think Aston Villa are tenth at the moment and they're seven points off the top. So any team in that top half is going to be thinking that they can move up the table. And Chelsea are going to be one of those clubs. But I think Lampard's right to say that. It's valid. I think it's the same for several clubs in a similar position. Manchester United might be one of those clubs as well, where you're still developing your product. You're still trying to be the football team that your fans want you to be. It just might take a little bit of time. Just to swing back to Everton for a second, Rob, Adam said they're catapulted, which I think is is the right word. When you're in the situation where you've got the chance to take points off teams that are going to be around you in the table, whether that's battling for Europe or battling for the title, you've got to 
get positive results against them to avoid slipping off and, and giving yourself a fighting chance. Between now and the end of the year, Everton have got a pretty definitive run of games. Leicester away in midweek, then Arsenal at home, Sheffield United away on Boxing Day, City at home and then West Ham at home on the first game of 2021. Given the fact that, as Adam pointed out, we, we never fully know what we're going to get from Everton. If they can take that sort of performance against Chelsea yesterday into that run of games, where could we be seeing them at the end of the year? Well, I said it right at the start of the season that they were my kind of outside tip to be one in one of the Champions League positions. You know, I looked at the squad and I felt that that was the case, that if Ancelotti could get James Rodriguez doing the things that he can do best, then you can have a great campaign and find yourself in a position that most people didn't expect you to be. However, I think what we've seen is that Everton started the campaign looking like a world-class side. And as soon as Hammers got that knock, it just went south very quickly. We saw Richarlison obviously serve uh, a ban. And we saw, as we've just said there, that the squad isn't very deep. I still don't really expect Everton to kind of blow the season up and really be in the title picture. But I think they'll be happy with where they are. And in terms of Ancelotti's development, we just talked about Lampard's development at Chelsea. Everton are a club that's underachieved for for 20 or 30 years. You know, they're a club that really do aspire to win trophies. But they've been outside of the title picture and outside the trophy picture for a long time. They've got great investment now. They're on the right track. But this might be a season of, of kind of ironing out a few of the creases in the curtains to see if they could get back to being that football club that they want to be. Adam, just quickly, Dominic Calvert-Lewin didn't get on the score sheet, but his his system has remained just get in the box, get on the end of crosses, the whole one-touch finish thing that he's he's been quite clear that Ancelotti's been honest with him about. Given the fact that he's kind of raised the bar for, for what Everton expect from a centre-forward since Romelu Lukaku moved to Manchester United, when we look at managing expectations for where they're going to finish... Is he the man to push them for Europe? Is he the man to, to push them for top four? Does he have the ability to, to keep it going for the full season? I think he does, but I, I imagine uh, Ancelotti is probably of the same opinion that you can't really pin your hopes of a top four push on one player. Um, and I don't think it'd be fair to do so, but he, he does have the ability and the way that he's come through with his... Uh, his technique and the way that he's developed over the last year has been pretty astronomical that he's come from a player who was playing right right wing back under uh, Ronald Koeman to now being this number nine who just seems everything he touches goes in so he he can do and he'll be in the mix for golden boot if he carries it on but I wouldn't be pinning everything on him to, to take them there I think other players are going to have to chip in with, with goals Rodriguez, Richarlison uh, Iwobi's going to have to come through with a few goals so yeah he can do I, I would be worried for Everton though if they lost him um, I think they'd lose a lot a lot without him so uh, hopefully he stays fit anyway especially from an England, England point of view it's quite exciting to see where he could go with England as well uh, on the other side for Chelsea, Rob, we've got Timo Werner, Olivier Giroud and Tammy Abraham that would be kind of wrestling for that number nine position. Timo Werner's looked impressive in patches and, and again yesterday he couldn't get himself on the goal sh- goal on the score sheet and he, and he looked good in, in, in certain situations but he just it doesn't seem to have really happened for him in English football. Tammy Abraham's been kind of sidelined out of the starting eleven. Olivier Giroud is, is back being flavour of the month because he's performed in, in the last couple of weeks. How does Lampard manage this? Because yes, Werner can play in a multitude of positions and, and he likes that wide left role but eventually when everyone's fit and everyone wants to play there's going to be a decision for him to make of who's going to be his starting option 
Yeah, and Werner was brought to the club, obviously, to play as a centre forward and as a number nine, but he's got that ability to play on the left, as he did for Leipzig over the last few seasons. But I think when you look at Tammy Abraham and what he brings, it's about balance and, and really kind of finding a chemistry between those forwards when you think that this is the post-Hazard era for Chelsea and that they have to do something different and find a different way. I think Lampard understands that. Uh, I think as well, you have to think about what happens with Kai Havertz. You know, he's come to the club as a big sign-in and he's the one who kind of sticks out for me that doesn't quite fit at the moment and he's finding maybe the, the different ilk of the Premier League slightly different to what he was doing in the Bundesliga so they're bigger questions I think for for Frank going forward but they have got the pieces there they've got talent and it's about tweaking it and finding your way and if you lose games this season you accept it you take it on the chin and you keep building towards the next transfer window and the next transfer window until you feel that you are genuine title contenders yeah, and it's not a bad problem for Lampard to have. I'm sure there's fans of 15 or so other Premier League clubs that be looking this and saying, oh, I'd love to be able to be worrying about fitting £300 million worth of talent into my starting eleven. Not a bad problem for Lampard to have, but obviously a little bit of a concern that their unbeaten streak is over. Gents, we're going to call it there for part two. After the break, we're continuing this theme of big teams dropping points and throwing the title race hot potato around as Tottenham were held to a one-all draw against Crystal Palace and Liverpool, shockingly, drew one-all away at Fulham. Join us in a minute. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening to the podcast and you're a big fan of what we do here, don't forget to hit subscribe and you can get a brand new episode every single day. Every day of the week we are talking to you about Premier League issues, goals or lack of them this weekend, match previews, match reviews, transfer gossip, absolutely everything you could need to keep up to date with your team. Now, the big talking point this weekend, as well as that lack of goal scoring action, has been some of the bigger sides dropping points and not really wanting to take advantage of the fact that their other rivals want to be on the top of the table. Tottenham won all against Crystal Palace and Liverpool drawing one all away at Fulham. Rob, Craven Cottage where we're going to start. This was a very, very strange game from the point of view of Fulham, who we've grown accustomed to talking about as struggling and, and kind of being a little bit of the whipping boy in the opening weeks of the season. But for a good 60, 70 minutes, they put it up to Liverpool. And when you look at the balance of the game at full time, they were probably unlucky to, to lose and uh, sorry to, to draw and not come away with all three points. Well, Fulham have shown really good progress, I think, in the last few weeks. So I think before the game, there was a feeling that they might produce a performance against the Liverpool side that have got injuries and have not been at the best themselves. Uh, so I think the way that the game kind of panned out with Fulham in the lead and actually having lots of opportunities and getting to the point in the match where Liverpool needed that equaliser, obviously, in the 79th minute, it wasn't really a, a wholesale surprise that, that the game unfolded as it did. I think it shows more of where Liverpool are at the moment, you know, last year they were a team that was solid and at times when they weren't sensational and their front three weren't popping and clicking away and finding the goals that they needed it was that guy at the back Van Dijk doing the work that he always does looking after the result and helping them on to stay top of the table 
that's not there this season. That's something that Klopp needs to solve. And as, it's, as it seems at the moment, I think Liverpool are going to have trouble over the Christmas period because there's lots of games. They have to manage some kind of rotation and have to keep themselves in the position that they are in. They're at the top, though. They're near the top. I don't think they'll be particularly unhappy with their position as it stands. Adam, looking at this from a Man City point of view, this was a little bit kind of Alex Ferguson, Manchester United-esque, where this was a game they didn't play particularly well, but they got a decision in their favour with 15 minutes to go and Mo Salah took home from the penalty spot and Klopp will probably just wipe his brow, get back on the bus and, and head back to Liverpool and think, we didn't play brilliantly, but at least we didn't lose and, and we've kept a bit of momentum going. Given the fact that, as Rob pointed out, Fulham, we have to give them credit, but you would have expected Liverpool to, to go to the cottage and get three points. Liverpool have got away with one here, no? Yeah, um, I, I, to be honest, I, I think the the decisions that the ref had to make and VAR had to make, Liverpool were very lucky not to lose the game. Um, Fulham had other chances as well. They, Liverpool are a strange one at the minute because they've been getting results in these games where they've been struggling, but this is a really bad result for them. Like it's, I know it sounds pretty dramatic, but... Us going to Old Trafford yesterday and getting a point now doesn't look too bad because you've got them going to Fulham and dropping points and Spurs going to Palace and dropping points. No disrespect to Fulham, but we played them a couple of weeks ago and it could have been 15-0. Like they, they offered absolutely nothing and Liverpool turned up today and, as Rob said, without Van Dijk, they just look a different, a different side. Fabinho's done well at the back for them, but... Should have given away a penalty today that wasn't given. And Salah was lucky to score his penalty. His penalty was rubbish. And it's just bounced under Ariola's hand as he went to get it. He's just put it down the middle and P-rolled it in. But the, a point they'll probably take on the, the balance of the state of that game. So it's it's a bad point for them. But again, they're, they're still up there because the title this season, well, the, the state of the top of the table is just bizarre. So they'll still be there and thereabouts. But as Rob said again, the... The Christmas period could could really upset them. Rob, Tottenham stay at the top of the table because of that result for Liverpool. They drew with Palace earlier on in the day and because Liverpool couldn't get past Fulham, they won't leapfrog them to the top. So Jose lives to fight another day as, as pretending that Tottenham are not title challengers even though they're top of the league. This was a strange game, but in an odd way, it was a kind of classic Mourinho performance where he wants this idea of we get to 65, 70 minutes and we look to lock the back door and shut teams out. And individually, collectively, they weren't able to do it against Palace. Given the fact that that is going to be the way he's going to approach these games, you would imagine, for the bulk of this season, have they got the ability to do that? Is that going to be their way of looking to push to win the title? Well, there's no doubt that Jose has toughened Tottenham up. You know, I think when he took control of that squad from Pochettino, it was the first thing he said, obviously, publicly, and the things that came out of the documentary, that he wanted this team to be stronger and tougher and to be able to see out the games that are not going in your favour. I think in maybe in times not so long ago, Tottenham might have lost this game at Palace, especially the way Palace were playing. But I do think with Spurs, the key is always about Harry Kane and Son. And if you lose one or two of those players and they've both suffered with injuries in the past, I don't really see how Jose has options to, to keep this team anywhere near the top four because they will lose games, they will drop points. There just isn't a lot of depth at Tottenham Hotspur. Yes, they've got some good players from around the fringe, but I think for Jose, it is about managing expectations. And, you know, while they're near the top, he'll be happy. But I don't think that they will be in the top four come the end of the season because there are just better teams than they are. 
Yeah, and it, it's an interesting strategy, Adam, for him to go with, which, as Rob points out, Son and Kane have been excellent. The, the way that they're able to link up, if one of them doesn't score, the other one will. If one of them doesn't assist, the other one will. And, and so much of what they do seems to go through them. And at the other end of the pitch, you've got Eric Dyer, who's playing his first season as a full-time centre-back. And Toby Alderweireld is experienced, but he's the other side of 30 now. Given that Mourinho will want to build a title push, even though, shh, he doesn't want to talk about a title push uh, on on a solid defensive unit. Given the fact that he's got Sergio Regulon on one side, it's his first season in Premier League football, and Serge Aurier or, or Matt Doherty on the other team. As a unit, collectively, are, are they going to be able to do it? If they can keep the the starting eleven fit for the whole season, which would be a miracle, they've got a chance. But Rob said the same thing, and I mentioned it earlier about Everton. The depth just isn't really there. Spurs are probably a couple of players away, a couple of very good squad players away from giving this a real go. And I wonder if in January they're just going to go for it. They're going to look at where they are in the league and see if there's anyone they can pick up. Hoiberg's turned into a, a fantastic signing that uh, he's he's basically just Mourinho, isn't he, on the pitch? He's, he's his proper uh, right-hand man on the pitch and he's always had one of them and he's he's been really good. Kane and Son just just magnificent together and on their own as well like you said if one doesn't score the other one does so they've got to keep those two fit they've got to keep everyone fit really to give themselves a chance but what I will say is in, in this season of course they can win the league at the way that it's going a team's going to we said this from day one on the first podcast of the season someone will win the league this year on 80 something points which over the last few years we've seen 100 99 98 this year it's just not going to happen because people are beating people again um, so it's going to be interesting He's, I think Mourinho like you say he doesn't want to talk about a title push but if it gets to the end of January and he's still top two then it's on for him uh, but he does have to manage that expectation I think they're playing a little bit above themselves uh, in some of the recent games the game against us was just the most Mourinho performance I've ever seen and it was it was done to perfection so if they can keep getting that right they've got a sniff but I do think there's a couple of teams that are just a bit better than. Uh, looking at some of the other action over the weekend, going back to Friday night, Leeds one, West Ham two. Rob, this is this is very very interesting stuff from West Ham. Jim prematurely tweeted after about ten minutes to say that his weekend was ruined after Matthias Click scored after five minutes. But Hammers fought back, one two one, and their away record is particularly eye catching. When you look back this season, the last five away games they've only lost at Anfield. They won away at Leicester, they won away at Sheffield United, and then that result at Ellen Road on on Friday night. And they seem to have a bit of an edge to them if they if they can't get a goal through playing nice football they've got some really powerful players that'll score at set pieces Thomas Suchek Ogbonna both got got on the score sheet at Ellen Road they they seem to be a very non-West Ham West Ham if, if that makes sense they they feel like they're a very David Moyes Everton side I think that's kind of where it's going it feels yeah, like yeah feels like Moyes has kind of found his mojo again after several clubs and a few failures and kind of not going back to maybe his glory days after Manchester United, after a failed period there at Old Trafford. But it feels that he's got this West Ham team ticking and that they've become difficult to beat. They've got some weapons in their side. They can beat you. They can score against you. They're very good from set pieces. Um, they've got a kind of stronger defence or at least a, a more confident defence. And I think the, for David Moyes, he's in a good position because, you know, if West Ham end up anywhere near that mid-table top 10 kind of placing then his job is safe and he might get some more money to spend to take the team to the next step. But, 
you know, like we just said there, it's it's really anyone's this season in that top 10 looking for a title push. I certainly don't think West Ham will be one of those teams. But if they're sixth, seventh, eighth, that constitutes a really successful season for West Ham. And they're kind of on course at the moment. I think Moyes has done a great job. Uh, Adam, the Manchester derby didn't produce any goals and the West Midlands derby only managed to produce one. Wolves nil, Aston Villa won. Pretty much nothing happened in this game until the last 10 minutes when it all went off. Two red cards, Douglas Louise, Jan Moutinho both offer an early bath and then a 94th minute penalty from Anwar El Ghazi. This was a strange game and when we look at Wolves, what we've expected from them over the last two seasons where they play this exciting brand of football and there's always some Portuguese player that we've brought in that everyone likes to talk about. But things are not clicking for them and yes, obviously Raul Jimenez is, is out because he suffered that, that nasty head injury against Arsenal but there does seem to be something missing. They do seem to be a little bit flat and obviously losing a derby, albeit with, with no fans there, is never nice. And Santo looks like he has to do something to turn this situation around. I think it's tough for Wolves this season because they were so good last year. Um, they became a bit of a machine on the year before that I, I think, again, a bit like Spurs have been this season, Wolves played well above where they should have been. And a lot of that was uh, Santo and a lot of it was the players that they've got. I don't think when him, Jimenez is out of the side, they've got anyone that can play like him. And he's pivotal to the way that Wolves play. Proper number nine, who they can get the ball into and run off him. Then playing Fabio Silva and Podence and uh, Neto, they don't really fit that style. They're not going to win headers. They're not strong. It doesn't, doesn't feel like Wolves have a plan B. And they've tried a few times. And I think it's it's almost similar to... Sheffield United this season where Wolves, I hate when people say they've been found out or anything, but I just think that teams know the way they're going to play. They know the way that they set up and they don't really have an answer to it at the minute. I think they'll be, well, obviously I think they're going to be fine, uh, but they're, they're nowhere near a top six at the minute. Uh, Rob, Newcastle 2, West Brom 1. Steve Bruce said before the game that he'd have to wait until probably an hour before kickoff to be able to name a side. And you'd almost be looking at this and saying they could do with having players in self-isolation or injured on a more regular basis because they've put together one of the most solid runs they've had for, for some time. Back-to-back wins, beat Palace last weekend and then West Brom this weekend. Dwight Gale come off the bench. He's been a bit of a forgotten man and talk of him going in January, but got himself a brilliant goal and another three points for Bruce. Yeah, I think as we said with David Moyes of West Ham, I think Steve Bruce has got Newcastle looking like a Steve Bruce team now. So they're functional. They've got a few weapons in their team. They can they can do certain things on the football pitch. It's it won't put Newcastle in any kind of higher position, maybe where where Newcastle fans want their club to be. But it will make sure that they're safe. I don't think we'll see Newcastle in a relegation battle this year. I think there's several other clubs who have got more problems than they have. But I think Steve Bruce has done a really good job, and it, the players that he's got, he's managed to get the most from them. And if they have another good transfer window in January, they could be a team that is comfortable inside the top ten, which would be a surprise. Now, hold on to your hats. I've been saving this one for a bit of excitement as the last game that we're going to cover on the podcast. Southampton 3, Sheffield United 0. Bit of excitement, actual goals, which has not been the case for many matches this weekend. Adam, the Saints march on, another impressive performance. They're up to fourth in the table as it stands, but Sheffield United, 12 games, no win. Chris Wilder looks like he could do with John Stones or Harry Maguire giving him a hug. They're, they're down, aren't they? Sheffield already, United. Do you think? They're gone already? Yeah, one point from twelve games. You, the how are they going to find forty points? From I like I can't see where it's going to come from. 
the other thing is they've scored five goals. They they can't score goals. They don't have anything creative in that side. Again, last year they played that really cool new formation that that setup that teams couldn't quite work out. And once teams can get that figured out, they know exactly how to beat them. And they're not just getting beat narrowly. They get they're just getting thumped, and they they've not got anything to show back for it. And I, I know that Wilder's done the most incredible job to get them where they are but they've 15 games they've gone and they've got like including the end of last season one point from 15 games when do when do the like when when do the fans start saying oh maybe it's time for a change because I I can't see how like I can't see how they're going to win a game because I can't see how they're going to score a goal so it's it's a nightmare for Sheffield United and Southampton, on the, the flip side of that, look brilliant. Um, they have done for about a year. The way the way they're playing football is great. It's not like they're, they're scraping results and from bad performances. They look great. Um, and they should comfortably get in the top 10, which Niall will absolutely hate, which is good fun. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're playing great football. And it, the two teams couldn't be more opposite at the minute. Sheffield United need some luck. They need to just pick up a, a scrappy win or anything because if this carries on, they're, they're down by Christmas, aren't they? So, um, Rob, Adam's right that if you wanted a contrast between confidence and negativity at the minute, for, for all the negativity that's swirling around Wilder and, and Sheffield United, confidence is, is coursing through Southampton veins. Ralph Hartsnuddle has confirmed that he's banned all talk of that result against Leicester. I'm not going to mention the numbers in case he's listening and he gets upset, but one of the most impressive things from them this season is the way they've reacted to to negative results. They lost their first two games, then they went unbeaten in six in the Premier League, and then those mixed results a few a few weeks ago before the international break where they drew with Wolves and then lost just to United. They've reacted, beat Brighton, and then beat Sheffield United. So, as Adam says, they're, they're playing fantastic football, but they do have that bit of steel to say that they're not going away and, and they will react. Well, there's a lesson in all of this. You know, when, when Southampton did lose that game 9-0, I'll say the result, um, <laughs> everybody thought that Hassan Hootel was finished. You know, I think everyone thought they'd be sacked and that would be the end of him at, at uh, Southampton and that he would move on to yet another manager. But he's a really, really good coach. We knew this before he came to Southampton and now we're actually seeing it. And I just think the kind of advent of uh, Danny Ings's career there, being at Southampton and becoming a, a striker who can find the back of the net almost every week, it's just given them that extra bit of um, gumption in the league and in, in matches where previously they might not have just had that firepower to get themselves over the line. And I think with Sheffield United as well, just to kind of reflect on that, I really do think that Wilder probably won't have a job by January. And I said at the start of the season, I felt that they would be a team that was in the bottom three at the end of the campaign. And I felt because of those overlapping centre-backs, which was a formation that took them to all of that success last season, that they would get found out. Because it is easy to defend against once you know how to defend against it. They're a team that are not going to score goals this season. Southampton will be safe. I think they'll be top 10 this year. But I think Sheffield United, I think they'll be relegated pretty early on and it will be back to the Championship for them. Uh, just quickly before we wrap up, I'm going to get a prediction from you both. Obviously, I think Wilder's going to be heading up this list. But given the fact that Slavin Bilic has struggled with West Brom, Scott Parker, despite that result against Liverpool, is, is still under pressure in charge of Fulham. Adam, who is going to be the first Premier League manager sacked? Uh, Wilder it's it's going to be Wilder um, but like you say Bilic the pressure's mounting on him now as well because they're 
they're getting nervous. I think a good outside shout, and he'll never get sacked, but I'd sack him, is Sean Dyche at Burnley. I thought you were just going to shove the, shove the needle in there and see Solskjaer for a second. No, 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 I don't. <laughs> uh, uh, without, without being disrespectful, I'd never want United to sack Solskjaer. So. <laughs> Rob, who would you go for? Uh, I'm guessing you're not going to say Solskjaer. Dice, Adam's throwing him into the mix, he's a possibility, but there's some strong names that, that look to be teetering on the brink. Yeah, I think for me it is wild as is the favourites, overwhelmingly so. I think Sheffield United are not going to be able to survive this campaign. But for me also, Dice, you know, I was looking at the, uh, the table earlier on and I was just thinking they're in that conversation to be relegated. Now, they have had seasons where they've not been good for the first 10 games, almost being bottom, and then suddenly finding this recovery around Christmas in the second half of the season and shooting up the table. But I think one other club that will also be looking down the table at the moment is Arsenal. You know, I know that they're looking yeah. for a long-term plan under Arteta. They've looked good at times. You can see the progress that he's made. But they do have only 14 points from 12 games. That means that they're only just outside of that bottom three conversation at the moment. They need to start winning games because if they don't and they get through Christmas and have a bad spell, people will be asking Arteta whether he can do this job and whether he can take Arsenal back to the top six. I'll tell you what, that is a, a fantastic shout on Arteta. I was just looking then Obviously, whilst we record this, uh, they're playing against Burnley. So the result of that might go to towards one of those two men being in trouble because Arsenal, over the next few weeks, have got Southampton, Everton, City in the League Cup, Chelsea. Like, those fixtures are, are a minefield for them and they need to get some big wins because on the flip side, if they beat Everton, beat City in the Cup and beat Chelsea, Arteta becomes godlike again. So it's a good shout that though, Arteta, because... They could end up finding themselves uh, in like the bottom four in the next three games, which is very odd. We think they've lost six. Brighton have lost six. Fulham have lost eight. Burnley have lost six. They're in that conversation. Yeah. And, you know, Arsenal fans are expecting a lot more this season, I think, in terms of how they've restructured the squad or where they think they should be. But the fact that Aubameyang is going through this terrible patch of form and Lacazette and Pepe, they're not scoring the goals that you'd expect there's big questions at that football club. And, and I also think for Wolverhampton Wanderers, a team who've done well in the last couple of seasons, you know, they're also only just outside that bottom three picture at the moment. You know, he needs to start winning games as well there at that football club. There's a few managers who will be uh, watching their back in the next few weeks. Well, there we go. What an absolutely terrifying thought for Arsenal fans. If, if skirting towards the relegation zone isn't a worry enough, the potential of another managerless end of the year is something to warm the cockles at the Emirates Stadium. It's not been the most exciting Premier League weekend for goals or anything, really, for that matter. There's been some surprise results, but all in all, it's been a bit of a quiet one. Adam, Rob, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. No worries at all. And the guys will be back tomorrow on the podcast looking at Arsenal's relegation humdinger against Burnley and also Leicester's game against Brighton. Don't miss it. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.